1: When you're not running,
0: rest and good
1: quality sleep is so important and plays a vital role in your recovery. If you find that you're one of the many people who struggles to get a good night's sleep, then I have a podcast recommendation for you. Sleep Cove is hosted by trained hypnotherapist Christopher Fitton and has helped millions of people improve their sleep, featuring relaxing sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help you de-stress and sleep well. Sleep Cove is available wherever you get your podcasts and at any time of night. Go on, give it a listen. Hello and welcome back to Wellfar. Thanks for staying with us while we had a little break last week. I'm Amy Lane and on this week's show we've got two experts, talk about how the ebb and flow of female bodies and lifestyles can impact running and how we can keep pushing forward as our bodies change and age. I was particularly interested in recording this episode after a few of you reached out to ask how the menopause affects running. Back in season one of Welfare, we opened up the conversation with Georgie Bruinvales about how female hormones can affect our running, but today we're going to do a deeper dive into that topic. Because although running is there to be enjoyed at any age and life stage, to truly enjoy the physical and psychological boons of running, should we be doing the same in our 20s to our 70s? And are women missing a trick by choosing generic training plans also used by men? To educate and inspire us to keep clocking the miles as we age is Rosie Stockley, founder of Mammowell, a fitness company that helps women navigate fitness through the biggest of life changes and also Kelly McNulty, a PhD student at Northumbria University investigating the effects of the menstrual cycle and hormonal contraceptive use on performance, recovery and adaptation in sports women. And she's also the author of Period of the Period blog. Kelly and Rosie, welcome to Wellfar. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> how are you both today? Rosie, how are you doing? Mother of two gorgeous little girls and juggling a lot. Let's start with that.
2: I am okay. I was up a bit in the night, but I must say I have done a little workout this morning and I've been for a walk and had a coffee. And so those things all contribute to quite a nice mood. So I'm good, thank you. And I'm really happy to be here talking to you. Brilliant.
1: For anyone who's maybe not met you before, would you just give us a little run through of who
2: you are and what you do? Yep, yeah, of course. So my name is Rosie Stockley, and I'm the founder of Mama Well, which is a fitness and kind of wellness company, really focused for women in general, but with a particular focus on pregnancy and postnatal wellness. I'm a personal trainer, and I have a dance background. So I've kind of had a movement training my whole life and passion. And that's translated into kind of everything I do. It's not just one type of movement. It's how we can make that work for our lives, optimising our lives as women through this intense time mentally and physically and how that can support us. And yeah, if it makes us feel confident, strong, toned, whatever we want to do, do a race, then that's
1: just amazing too. I can't wait to dig into all that expertise and also your experience of going through the biggest life changes and how that's affected your body and exercise Kelly lovely to have you on the show. Would you also share a little bit about who you are and the work that you do because it is so interesting?
3: Yeah, so I've always been someone with a keen interest in human physiology and then how we can optimise human performance. My main interests are focused around the female athlete and specifically the effects of the menstrual cycle and hormonal contraceptive use on performance, recovery, adaptation. So I completed an undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science and then a master's in strength and Conditioning. And also during that time, I worked part time mainly in golf as a strength and conditioning coach. So, yeah, that's my sporting background. I'm um, a golfer and I've played for many years, definitely for fun now, but previously at a higher level. But like most people, I kind of got into that space because it was something that had an impact on how that was influencing me and my performance and my training. But it just wasn't something that was openly chatted about or openly discussed. So, recently though, there seems to be that increased interest and drive. Yeah, I kind of got into this area for my own personal want to know more and then it was kind of like you realise that everyone and all men and all women need to know more. I'm really
1: excited to be having this conversation today because you've just mentioned that obviously we want to know more and we should know more and in the past couple of weeks I'm sure you guys have seen the government's obviously launched the campaign to do a big investigation into women's health have you guys noticed in your professions over the year that there's been that almost research bias and also a big lack of knowledge?
2: Yeah, I think it's really common for a lot of women, anecdotally women I talk to, to say, oh, I'm not sure if I should bring this up. Isn't this just something that happens with childbirth, for example? And they're quite reticent to think that something may be happening to their body that they can know who to talk to about it. Now, I work in a sphere where I have a great relationship with all these brilliant women's health physios. So I would have no problem in directing people to them, for example, for pelvic health issues. But I do know across the country, women I speak to are not even sure where to start with that. And I feel like that's something that's so central to our health and well-being as a woman that is kind of very secondary when you're having a baby. It's just like, just get on with it. So that kind of thing I've found really interesting. And there's been a growing desire to know more and really work with our bodies. So that's been a positive. I really welcome the government's research on a whole raft of women's issues and how they affect women, not only physically, but how that manifests mentally. So I just really feel like it would be really good to get some good data on this, collate it. And yeah, scientists like Kelly tell us what we can be doing. But why are there such
1: inequalities in men's health and women's health? Because they exist. That's why the government's looking into it at the moment. Yeah. And
3: that's such a great point as well. If we kind of think back, back in the day, so sport was designed for men by men. Women were much later to that game. But Recently, and it wasn't really actually until the 60s and 70s that women began to have more opportunities in sport and exercise. And then, because of this increase in the number of women participating in sport and exercise, and because just like men, women want to get stronger, we want to get faster, we want to achieve PBs, break world records, whatever that might be, it's become increasingly important to then understand the physiology of the female and the female athlete and how that might impact on training performance. Only four percent of the research in the sport and exercise journals for a one-year period when they conducted it only four percent of the research was done on women so you can see that we do have that huge data gap and i guess in the past that's been because of the lack of women in sport and exercise which is expected and then today we've kind of got that reason of studying women is hard like female physiology the menstrual cycle hormone and contraception it's it's not making it impossible but it is trickier and it's more expensive and time consuming when you just collect data on men so yeah we still got that research gap and then because of that we know very little about those female specific performance and training.
1: Has your research been well received by your male counterparts? Because I'm assuming when people have come along and have like shaken up industry or the field, that sometimes that's quite hard for people to stomach who have been behind that research bias for so many years? Yeah, I think so. And that's
3: a really interesting question as well, actually. And I think often if you walk into that coaching environment, those coaches have been training successful athletes for so many years and have their own like coaching strategy and whatever they do, and it's working. But then it's kind of saying, it is going to work, but it might take in that generic approach might not be optional for that female athlete there because you're potentially missing out on all these performance and training opportunities by not considering her physiology. So it's kind of getting it across in a way that you don't have to chuck away all your science that you have so far, but she is a female athlete and there's going to be different considerations from that.
2: That's a really nice way of thinking about it because often the research has been centered on oh, we're just going to take the male research, but make it 20% less or whatever, you know, you guys do to to fit a female. But actually, instead of that, it's looking at something that's additional, you know, our additional hormone fluctuations, or additionally, how that can make our training so much more strategic. And that's a really positive way to think about it. Yeah, no, definitely. I
1: love that. Rosie, before we talk about how we can layer on that extra positive um, approach with refining our training for our hormones and our physiology. Should we just talk quickly about the basics of exercise and just explaining why a mix of cardio and strength is really important for a female body? Because I think that conversation still needs to be had because there's many of us that are still confused as to why we shouldn't be just going out and running all week or why we shouldn't just be spending our whole time in a gym doing weights.
2: Yeah, a combination of cardio and strength training. It kind of not only keeps women fit and strong for sports, for example, to have endurance, speed, agility, all those kind of things, but it translates into our everyday life, which for me is so important. We want to be strong for anything that life throws at us. And although lots of us do enjoy sports, not so many of us are making this our career, but we are having like days, weeks, months and years in our life that have a combination of pull on our bodies so both strength and cardio like this full fitness training really helps us adapt to so many situations it's really important to increase our bone density so i just in brief touch on it and our muscle mass which keeps us strong supports our body you know the more kind of weight-bearing stress we can put on our bones the stronger they become will reduce the risk of osteoporosis this is linked to estrogen so that's an important reason for staying strong. Muscle mass too, it's not only our muscles, it's our connective tissue, the linking, kinetic links of all the different ways we move when we perform a variety of movements. If we've got joint stability and strength, we can prevent injury, increase our range of motion, just be strong and fit. I think for women, the resistance training is a real boost for mood and confidence, You've got your endorphins that are released, which are those feel-good kind of buzzy hormones. But then also a lot of women tell me how great they feel being strong, knowing that they have strength in their muscles and can perform all types of different goals, you know, to do with weights. And that is a real good thing for self-esteem with a lot of women. So moving on to cardio training, it's really good for confidence, positive mood, but it also has a relaxing kind of effect and can almost be meditative. So I do think that's a real positive part of your workout. If you enjoy running, walking, swimming, cycling, it can reduce depressive kind of feelings. Um, it's great for your heart and lungs. We all kind of know that, but it can reduce you know general fitness being improved, lowers your resting heart rate, increases your lung capacity, and they are like key signifiers for health. So, yeah, I just think overall it really does impact women well to have both in their routine, in their barrage of things that they can tap into for their workouts.
1: Rosie, I love what you've said there because in all of that, you've focused on both the physical and the mental benefits, which I think have changed for me over the years. And definitely from when I've been like a single person in London, juggling a lot, I definitely took more of the kind of like, mental aspects from certain types of my training so when you said about weightlifting helping with your self-esteem like for me when i was in that time that really helped whereas now today that kind of exercise i'm i'm reaping different rewards from so it's interesting that you've you've touched on both
2: it's so interesting and i think now you know i'm 38 and i'm i've done exercise my whole life and it's really ebbed and flowed what i've done and looking back it's been interesting, like you say, the different things you might do for different reasons. In some ways, some exercise used to be maybe a bit selfish in one way. You'd be going for these long runs. Now I don't have time to do anything too long, but maybe I'm training in a way more smart way for my body. And I think the mental health aspect is huge. And I talk a lot about that I hope lots of people do but I do know there's a lot of still there's a lot of oh we're going to weight lift for the gains on our muscle and that's great if you want to if you have a goal to do that it's really important to feel that you can reach those goals at any stage of your life but equally you want to feel good doing it that kind of no pain no gain thing I don't think it's for everyone and it's not necessary.
1: We actually did a podcast earlier on in the season and it was with a habits coach and one of the things that she kept saying was you have to know your why. Know your why about you're doing something and then it's much easier to make it into a habit which you will keep doing as opposed to something you will just do for a certain amount of time and then you will be demotivated and you you know you won't put the energy or the effort into.
2: Absolutely. I thoroughly agree. And that's in itself is a positive spiral. There's, you know, there's nothing worse than kind of every day being like, oh, I want to go and run 10k. Oh, I haven't done it again. You know, much better to just have sensible goals. I know that sounds really boring, but goals that you can reach and win at, and then you can smash them. And that's great. And so Kelly, you
1: know, the women that listen to this podcast, they listen because they want to get better at running. Um, the majority of them, they want to love it more, they want to enjoy it more. And a lot of that does come from finding it easier. How do we know that the female body, so the sex hormones, affects our performance, both running and in the gym?
3: Yeah, so again, a great question. And like what I touched on before, in the fact that for a long time, these female specific performance considerations have went relatively under that radar. So like what you mentioned, one unique performance consideration is the menstrual cycle and the potential effects of these fluctuations in female sex hormones and how they can influence not only running performance, but also that training aspect. So The well-known sort of sex differences between men and women sort of almost occur around puberty and that's when the sex hormones start having their influence and that kind of marks one of the major differences between men and women. For example, in boys around puberty, you've got that increase in testosterone and that starts to increase and then those sort of levels remain almost constant for men. And then in contrast, in girls, you've got estrogen and progesterone, so there are predominant sex hormones and they begin to rise from our first period and all the way through menopause. Basically, that's kind of referred to as our menstrual cycle. So the rise and fall of these hormones. So the primary function of the menstrual cycle is to get sort of re- allow us to reproduce or get pregnant. But that's not what we're <laughs> aiming for each and every month. But because we have hormone receptors all over our bodies, so we've got them in our muscles and our brains, they can have an influence on many other physiological systems. So our cardiovascular system or respiratory system, metabolic system and um, our muscular system. And then because of that, it can have an influence on performance and training. Um, for instance, estrogen is known to have that anabolic effect on skeletal muscle. It's also been shown to have antioxidant and membrane stabiliser properties. So that can offer protection against the likes of muscle damage and help recovery. It's also been shown to have some neuroexcitory effects on our neuromuscular system. So that can increase the likes of voluntary activation and all of that. It's been shown to play a role in substrate metabolism. So change in glycogen storage and increased fat utilization. And then just generally like those effects on our mood. So increased confidence, motivation, etc. And then in contrast to that, you've kind of got progesterone and that's kind of anti-oestrogen but also then has a whole range of its own physiological consequences as well such as that rise in basal body temperature good for our brains our mood so I guess when you start to add all them up we can start to think in theory we might see those changes in performance and training but then I guess one thing that's important to note is that we Change so much across our lifespan as women. So, from puberty to the menopause, and we've all in between that, you've got hormonal contraception, pregnancy, breastfeeding, post pregnancy, and all of those things can change our hormones as well. So, I guess as a female focused on performance, whether that's at that elite level or whether it's just recreationally, we kind of need to be aware of those potential effects. And it starts to indicate where training for men and women might start to differ across their lifespan. I mean there's so much in there isn't there so
1: like how can we start to be aware I know obviously there are so many like tracking apps out there but do they really give us enough information is there a good one which we can use or is there t- something totally different which we should be doing Kelly?
3: Yeah 100% and that's a great question as well in the fact that Hormones and the way we experience our menstrual cycle, or whatever else, so our our lifestyle is so unique to us. So that's when it gets that even more complex, in that not everyone's going to be experiencing the same things, and not what you experience is going to be the same as your mom, whoever else. So it's very like you have to remember that it is an individual thing, and just because someone else is feeling something else, you don't have to fit that narrative, or that might not be for you. So I always kind of encourage people to go away and look at the research, but be really critical about it because this is a new area and there's not much there and it's so conflicting at the minute. So for every study that says an effect, there's another that says absolutely nothing at all. So you've just got to have a really critical eye on it and question everything, but taking that individual approach is what's really going to optimise performance and training. So like you say, tracking the menstrual cycle for your own individual. There are apps that have been specifically designed for active women and female athletes in particular. So Fit Our Women, Wild AI. So their apps are great as well. Also to be wary of in using apps is to make sure they're not almost sort of shouting at you and telling you how you'll feel so fit our women are great so you can turn off the training and performance because that might not be suiting you and then you're not getting any outside influence from that and for me personally I think a pen and paper approach is just is fine you know you can't go wrong with it it's your evidence and your data and then once you've built up enough of that you can then start to see how your performance and training might be affected
1: And what sort of things would you write down? Like, would I literally get out a diary and write feeling tired, feeling crap, brackets, not to do with my husband...
3: Yeah, that's so important as well. So for me I tend to try and tell everyone to track simple things. So don't overcomplicate it. Like it doesn't have to be a task or a chore, like like what we were talking about before. You have to need to know the reason why and that's why you get women's buy-in and everything like that. But first thing I would say is record your when your period happens, so when it starts, when it ends, any symptoms you might be experiencing at that time and also symptoms across every day of your cycle. So you know, like headaches, breast pain, feeling a little bit low or whatever whatever. whatever else that might be and then importantly if you are tracking your performance and training that's when you can be like was my session easier or harder at this point in my cycle or did I recover faster from that training session today than what I might do at another point in my cycle and there's even some women like to really go and collect loads of data so you can start to track ovulation as well so you've got your unirinary ovulation detection kits they're a little bit I won't go into that but they're a little bit sort of off (laughs) but then also you've got the in basal body temperature so you can look to see if you've ovulated that way or changes in cervical fluid so some women do like to really get into the data but whatever level you track on is going to be is whatever suits you so whatever time you've got whatever methods you use what whatever suits you is going to be the best approach and there's as long as you can stick to that. So we're usually encouraged to track for three months because that's going to give you the most accurate data before you start being like, oh, I'll tweak and adjust my training here and there. So, yeah, track for at least three months before you start making those f changes, if there are any. And if you are someone that doesn't notice it, then just you can just stop. You know what I mean? You don't have to track forever. It's so interesting because I didn't track anything
1: until I wanted to become pregnant and then suddenly I was getting all analytical about my body, many things that you've just mentioned and it was only then that I actually had a true awareness of what was going on because I wanted to become pregnant but I had... I had. Up until that point, so up until my thirties, I had not even thought about my hormones and how much they played into other areas of my life. Rosie, did you? Were you a tracker, or were you the same until you wanted to get pregnant that you, mm. you know, you just ignored
2: all of that? Yeah, I wanted to interject there and say it's such a positive actually for women. I think to get more in tune with ourselves through our cycles, and like you were saying, Kelly, it doesn't need to be every aspect of it. You know, just noticing certain things. I know quite a few women have started doing that with their calendar and will now know to not book stressful meetings on a certain three days, for example, in their cycle, because they know they handle stress less or are a bit fuzzy or, you know, you know, various different things that they've managed to see from over a couple of months, just tracking a simple word on each day, you know, tired, snappy, whatever, that they can optimize their work life in that way. And I think it's really positive that we can do that in our training as well with our both ways with our sort of more low-key rest days. We can really optimise them and then optimize our all the positives to do with the hormones, allowing our body to kind of go for it a bit more. But yeah, to your point, Amy, I wasn't a tracker until yeah, my I was trying to get pregnant the second time. And then I started doing you know all of that stuff that you just mentioned, ovulation Sticks and apps and fluid, all the things. Fluid, observation. (laughs) It was like a science experiment. And it's really interesting. And I think you are a lot more in touch with your body, which I think is a really, I found really interesting and empowering actually. But it's interesting with cycles. And, you know, I went through this intense like dance training when I was, you know, that was my profession. And you think, you know, something so integral to your body and we were training every day and there wasn't really allowed any days that were kind of fatigue days or rest days. And I look back at that and I do think it's a bit detrimental to women. And, you know, a lot of women had uh, girls, you know, we were quite young, had restrictive diets and that plays havoc with your cycle. And it was sort of accepted. And now I look back and I think how important that cycle is for general health plus having a baby if that's what you'd like to do and supporting your whole body and that we didn't treat ourselves very well necessarily in that training so it's nice to have a positive way to look at how your cycle might impact how you can train for the better and are you having those conversations with
1: clients because I was mentioning to Kelly earlier on that I had um, a researcher on this podcast a couple of years ago and when I had that conversation with her people weren't talking about periods at all I think there was like two tracking apps which were maybe out there was probably more but there was two that were being spoken about a lot but still from using them to get pregnant or not get pregnant not really to optimize training and I definitely have never had that conversation with a coach yet of like how i'm feeling where i'm at in my cycle to what i should be doing in my training very long question there rosie but are women now talking to you about their menstrual cycles and how they can optimize them for results
2: yes so i have a really close relationship with most of my clients you know we are I'm tending to train them through pregnancy and postpartum. So in that regard, there's like no TMI. We talk about a lot of things to do with the body that are very personal. With the hormones and how uh, the cycle and how it affects training, not so much. I definitely talk about menstrual cycle and a lot of my, uh, not a lot, a couple of my clients have been experiencing worse symptoms of PMT, slightly a couple of years older than me. So we do talk about that and how it might link in with training but I haven't been and I really want to now do more research on how to optimize you know the training for the cycle and yeah it's a I don't want to say it's a new topic because obviously people have been menstruating forever but I really feel we're in a place where we've got more research and people are talking about it more.
1: Because I think back to doing my PT course, which I did very much from an educational standpoint and I've never trained anyone. But I can't remember any units in there relating to how you should train men and women differently or at different life stages.
2: We had a bit about, you know, what might happen if your uh, menstrual cycle stops and that, how that could impact your training, but not too much. And then a little bit touching on importance of impact training for women later in their life, but again, not much. And then I did pre and postnatal, which touch more on hormones, but less the monthly cycle, more about the cycle through pregnancy and postpartum and then what to be aware of there. It's all fascinating. I think it should be really more in depth. Hold
0: up. What was that?
1: plushcare.com slash weight loss obviously we're talking on a running podcast so all the runners are going to go how can i maximize my cycle for running gains then is there like a certain day in the month which they should be like tackling their long runs or maybe they should be avoiding them
3: Yeah, no, so great question again. And it's really hard to answer because everyone is so individual. But in terms of picking out some of the science that is there, I mean, there's not a lot of it, but what is there? In terms of sort of in that first half of our cycle, we've kind of got oestrogen rising. So after our period around day five, and it almost reaches its peak just prior to ovulation. And at this time, progesterone's low. And Like what I mentioned before, oestrogen has all of those certain physiological effects on our body. So those muscle building, anabolic effects, um, as well as those feel-good effects, so motivation, wanting to train and perform. And then what I touched on before as well, there's also some research that shows that we can recover from training quicker at this point in our cycle, because oestrogen's got that protective function, as well as potentially reduces inflammatory responses around exercise. So if you kind of take that all together, at this point in our cycle, it could be a good time for strength training. And there's some sort of emergent evidence that shows if you train more in your follicular phase, so strength training in your follicular phase, rather than any other phase is actually better for developing strength and muscle mass in naturally menstruating women but then a big sort of caveat to this is that there's only four studies that have looked at this and they are conflicting and differences in quality studies so it's just something to be aware of like it might work for you it might not and then kind of around ovulation so oestrogen levels drops off before it then has another rise and then progesterone's been quiet so far but that is now high as well so we kind of move into that luteal phase and you've kind of got high hormones at the second half And like what I touched on before, so progesterone is thought to be that calming hormone, promote good mood, reduce anxiety, promote good sleep. And that's generally good for sport and exercise and running and recovering from training sessions. But then there's some research that shows that progesterone has sort of this influence on our brain and on our neuromuscular system. So we might find that we become less coordinated or more clumsy at this point in our cycle. It might not be that great for skill-based training or the likes of performance that way. But then also in terms of running, there's some research that shows that we're better at using fats as fuel um, at this point in our cycle. So that could be beneficial for some women during that endurance training and um, when saving carbohydrate stores and instead using fat could keep us going for longer without fatigue another change that we have in that half of the cycle is that rise in basal body temperature. So it rises by half a degree and that doesn't sound like much at all but for active women or female athletes it might mean that we feel a little bit hotter during our training and that could make us stop or slow down or just perceive it to be much harder than what it was in the other part of our cycle. So that might be more relevant for those long endurance runs in the heat or in humid environments. Some women might benefit from using cooling strategies and just making sure they're hydrated and got enough fuel for their exercise that way so yeah there's there's just some couple of examples there is a lot more that you could go into but it's just again noticing that sort of taking that research and then using that to sort of apply to your own individual so some women will find bits of that that resonate with them others will not absolutely see anything in there at all so it it is very much that individual thing and appreciating that and using that to maximize performance and training.
2: I think that sounds so interesting, like the ebb and the flow. I just love it. So would you suggest that women like do the three month strategy of writing down what they would train on each day and see if they felt that that worked for them and if it did stick to it? Or would you try different things each month? What would you suggest?
3: So if you've got that data, then you can start to, that's when you kind of get creative and start to like tweak and adjust things. So if you say, oh, there's some research that says I might get stronger if I strength train more, then that's when you can adapt that. And then if you do notice a difference, then then stick with it. If you don't, you can go back to training exactly how you were really and yeah it's just using that research as a base and then taking from it what might fit you and then if it doesn't you can put that back and then try something else and training around the menstrual cycle is more about maximizing your performance and training when that cycle is working for you or then minimizing and overcoming some of those times when it might not be working so great for you and that's going to what get the best out of yourself on any day of the cycle really It's so fascinating.
2: Don't you feel like it's also so cool? It's so unique to us women. And it's a bit untapped. Like we could really... There's so many amazing, let's just think elite sports women rather than just people running around the park. I mean, they're already doing amazing things. And think with this research, what they could do to both enhance their performance and make their rest days really work for them as well. I think it's such
1: a big opportunity as well to... Take control of negative self talk and to use science to like try and help silence that. Because I think as women, we berate ourselves a lot because we always think we need to be doing better and be doing more. Whereas, actually, when we start to understand a bit more about our bodies and what's going on on in the inside and how that affects our emotions and also, you know, our exercise achievements, then suddenly we can take, you know, we can take that pause and we can go, actually, there's a lot going on in my body today. It's a really big big day i'm just going to be kinder to myself whereas i just you know for so many years i know that i haven't done that but the more i the more i learn the more self-compassion that i have agree it's very empowering and rosie i'd love to chat to you about the difference in performance from say like 20s to 30s 40s 50s so, like when I was in my 20s, I felt like I could take the world on and still get up and go to a Barry's class and hit those high speeds on a treadmill, normally hungover as well. And it just didn't affect me. I was in like peak physical performance, if you like. And then I hit my 30s and things started to feel harder. And now I'm mid 30s. It's feeling even harder. Is there a reason why it changes?
2: Yeah, to your point, Amy, I was the same as you. I was doing a variety of things, long runs after a night of drinking, just kind of doing it. It was all very fun at the time. And there was For me, actually, even a bit less strategy. I was just like rocking all over the place, having a lot of fun with my exercise at that time, but living life very fully in other ways too. And just now, I mean, I've got two kids, I'm late 30s and definitely there are quite a few more external factors, I think, just in my life. You can't be so selfish to just take yourself off whenever you feel like and do it. You know, it's said that our muscle mass that we create, grow throughout our life, it kind of peaks in our late 20s to early 30s. So I think that at that time, we're our most efficient, agile, fit, easier to recover, all those kind of aspects hit at the same time. I think definitely we need more time to recover. Anecdotally, a lot of people I come into contact with, I do think are training a bit smarter in this stage of their life. I think a combination of knowing what they like doing, knowing what might work for their body, and their mind. They're re- like we were saying before, the reason why, a bit more analytical, having a bit more of a schedule or a programme that m- might be designed for them or they've figured out might work and um, kind of getting it done, not going for those quick fixes and fads. And I think it's self-preservation a bit. Yeah,
1: actually, do you know what? The self-preservation is a thing, I think, because when you're in your 30s and maybe you have a family and you have so much more to juggle, you're like... I actually can't run myself into the ground because if the captain of this ship goes down, like we all sink, nothing happens. So actually maybe you do have to be a bit more realistic and you can't push yourself so hard because like I've said, everybody will sink, but also you kind of don't have the time, do you? Can I circle back to the comment that you made about declining muscle mass and why it's really important to be strength training in our 30s?
2: Yeah, as your muscle mass is increasing throughout your um, lifetime and reaches its peak around late 20s, early 30s, and then it may decline. So I think it's really important to keep your impact strength training going to keep those muscles strong, toned, able to respond to your needs as hormones like estrogen will start to decline from well, perimenopause onwards.
3: Yeah, and just echoing and adding on to that in terms of the bone strength. So we kind of think of our bones as sort of these solid structures that don't really change, but actually all the time they're constantly built up and broken down. So as we kind of grow up, so around puberty, our balance between bone building up and breaking down is usually swayed to the building up. And then we kind of reach our peak in our mid-20s. And then that balance stays relatively stable all the way until we're about 30. And then it kind of shifts to that broken down a bit. So that means our bone density starts to decrease. And then that kind of speeds up more rapidly as we get to menopause. So, and that's again because of the loss of each estrogen, which is known to influence the likes of muscle mass as well as bone strength. And then that can lead to sort of women being more susceptible to the likes of osteoporosis. So a condition where the bones are more thin and and fragile and more likely to break or fracture. But then again, you can counteract that through like nutrition and exercise. So that exercise, like what we talked about before, that weight bearing that encourages the bones to become strong and healthy. So that's both cardio and strength. And I guess as long as you're holding your body weight or add any additional weight on top of that. So walking does count, but to get like that big hit, such as running on other sports like tennis, where you're sort of almost pounding the ground or the court or whatever, that leads to better results in terms of bone health and bone regeneration. So the likes of cycling and swimming are great, but in terms of that bone health, it's not getting that hit. So yeah, there was exercise and nutrition as well that you can counteract those effects.
1: So well, for our listeners, if you didn't believe me or my experts before that you need to be strength training to help prevent injury, then listen today, you need to be adding that into your week because our bodies do change. We're not the same in our 30s or our 40s or our 50s as what we were in our 20s. That's a simple fact, isn't it? Kelly, one of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times is going to the perimenopause and the menopause. And obviously, there's that giant shift in hormones. I think as as women, we have maybe three big changes in our bodies in our life, and that's puberty and pregnancy if, if you decide to have a child and then obviously we all go to perimenopause and menopause how much does the perimenopause and the menopause affect our
3: exercise
1: uh, ability and maybe results
3: another great question and then on average the age is around 51 and the menopause in the UK and the menopause is your last period and that can be classified when you haven't had a period for a year, and like what you said about the hormones, if you think back to when we were a teen and we got our first period, it's referred to as menarche, and that's around the ages of 12 or 13 on average. But basically, from that first period, your cycles might have taken a while to settle, and it might have been a little bit wild, and hormones were just getting used to them and fluctuating. And then almost the same happens as we get around menopause. So that's the perimenopause. So basically, as women, we have this limited amount of stores of eggs, and as they deplete throughout our life, that's responsible for sex hormone production, so that reduces, so our oestrogen and progesterone are starting to fall. And at first, our bodies sort of work really hard to counteract that, and then cycles become shorter. But then as we kind of move through, those stores deplete even further. That's when we get an ovulatory cycle, so cycles where we don't ovulate. And then that kind of makes our cycles longer, and we can go several months without a period. So, that decline isn't always linear as well. So it doesn't just gradually stop it. Like sometimes one month will work fine, the next month it won't work at all. So you kind of basically have this hormonal roller coaster. So instead of that predictable pattern that we've got throughout the menstrual cycle, you've basically got this wild fluctuations. And that time can last anywhere from like two to 12 years as well, the perimenopause. So those wildly changing fluctuations in our hormones is kind of what gives us those symptoms because oestrogen is basically no longer kept in check by our progesterone. So you might get really heavy periods, really long periods, breast pain, increased PMS, bloating, headaches. There's like loads of symptoms there. But also women can just breeze through that as well. So, yeah, there is some women that just won't notice anything. But generally, when you get to menopause, that's when you're symptom free. And that's a good thing because you spend half, like a third of your life in that state but then obviously reduced hormones can have effects so like progesterone you're not producing anymore that can affect your sleep and mood and then you've got reduced estrogen so you've got things like um, vaginal dryness painful sex urinary incontinence and all of those symptoms but there are lifestyle and medical things you can go but in terms of actual performance it's really hard to like train with that cycle when it's just all over the place basically but generally the research indicates that those who stay more physically active during that time they have reduced symptoms and then have those positive effects on their strength and as well as their bone um, mass that we talked about before but then there is some research that's starting to get there that training programs might not work the same for you anymore so what you might have been doing might no longer work and you kind of have to reevaluate and take a step back and then plan how you're going to go from there so there's some out there that says in terms of those long endurance sessions we might have not be as efficient or you might not get as much out of them anymore and then some women instead might benefit so from that high intensity hip session but generally strength training as well should 100% be part of that perimenopause menopause transition.
2: I was just thinking about because you name. Made- you know there's so many different symptoms of perimenopause and menopause and it affects everyone differently I think it's really important if you you're training someone or they're part of your class to really try to empower them psychologically in this time because it's such a huge change and like you say it's only a positive doing exercise whatever you kind of want to do I guess if you're not training for a specific goal and just for the instructor to be mindful that they might be going through fatigue, you know, mood issues, painful parts of their body. And it's just such a huge change.
1: And how do we do that, Rosie? Because at the moment, I'm very lucky to have my mum as my childcare bubble. So I'm I'm seeing my mum on a weekly basis for a few hours, and she's helping with my son. And she's actually going through the menopause at the moment. And she's been saying to me about how how tough it is and I think it's the for her she was been so physically active her whole life and she's now experiencing this like sea change in herself which is really affecting her confidence so how can we empower the the you know the 40 the 50 year old women to keep exercising when they are feeling like a completely different person they're not able to do the same things because they've lost their confidence a little bit
2: yeah I think it must be so hard especially as if you've gone through quite a large part of your life being really autonomous and knowing where you're at with your hormones you've really maybe you've had children and you're you've got this freedom again and then then this hits you I think having the support of other people going through it and I think there is a lot more conversation happening around menopause now because like we say it does affect every woman and less about it being hidden away like oh the change or whatever people used to call it people are talking about it in more technical terms and embracing that there's all different symptoms I think yeah speaking to people I think if you can find like I was just saying before finding exercise whether that's you know, whatever that is that makes you feel good and confident and empowered and knowing that it's okay, it might not be what you used to do. Maybe you need different rest times, maybe you have changed onto something completely different. But yeah, just really acknowledging that it is a big change. I think that's the first step. I think that goes
1: to for so many people, though, doesn't it? At any life stage as well, if you just take a moment to pause and just to be present in your situation and be aware of what's going on, then you can find that kind of self-awareness and self-compassion a little bit so that you can then move forward. Otherwise, we do end up just berating ourselves. We're like, why can't we do this? Yeah, and then
2: it's a bit of a head-in-the-sand approach. And I feel like more and more we're getting more analytical and cognizant of what is happening in our life and how that might affect us mentally and physically. And I think that's a real positive
1: One of the things that we haven't mentioned today, so we've talked about this this ebb and flow of the natural hormones in our body. One of the things that we haven't spoken about is the synthetic hormones which we put in or the adding hormones to our body. Kelly, can I quickly ask you about... What happens when we, when we take the pill? How does that affect, like, a female's performance? Because, again, I think that's another monumental moment in, like, in a female life to go on hormonal contraception.
3: Yeah, 100%. And kind of what I touched on before, so the menstrual cycle, it's open to this external variation as well so co- hormone and contraceptive use and it's definitely something that we need to be aware of when we're not only sort of researching but when we're working with and as GPs or doctors prescribing hormone contraception so in a recent audit of female athletes almost half of the population surveyed were hormone contraceptive users so whilst we want to continue understanding and researching the menstrual cycle we kind of almost need to, to be able to cater for that other half of sports women as well so you have hormonal contraception and they're primarily designed to prevent pregnancy but they can also be used in other cases of active women and female athletes to manipulate their menstrual cycle so they can control or eliminate entirely their period so for instance some female athletes might have and find their periods have being inconvenient to the likes of performance and training, especially sort of if you're a rower and you have to be out or you're a runner and you have to be out for hours on a training session. And then also some women might experience some really debilitating negative side effects of their menstrual cycle, which could affect their performance and training as well. So there are absolutely loads of hormonal contraception and I won't go into the details of them, but... All of those different types have a different hormonal profile for us. But generally, what is used the most is that combined monophasic or contraceptive pill. So basically, this pill is designed to mimic that 28 day cycle. So it has 21 pill taken days, followed by those seven pill free days. And then that kind of alters our physiology in these two main ways. So one, it kind of suppresses our natural hormones that we produced. Um, throughout that pill cycle. And then also on top of that, it provides us with an artificial oestrogen and progestin during those 21 days. So basically, instead of like you say, them hormones ebbing and flowing, the kind of your natural levels of oestrogen and progesterone are almost down regulated. So they're pretty much like a flat line throughout that entire 21 pill taking days. And then on top of that, every time you take a pill, you basically have this like, peak in within an hour, then it drops off and that builds up over time until you have those seven pill free days and then you don't get that daily spike and that's kind of when you have that withdrawal bleed and i think it's important to highlight there that that's nothing like a period so it bears no physiological resemblance to the period and that's particularly important for sportswomen who are training a lot in the fact that they might they often think they get in their period because they're on hormonal contraception when they're not. And that can be masking things like low energy availability and all of that. But yeah, so basically because we've got that different hormonal profile, it might influence our performance and training more. But unfortunately, the research is really low in the menstrual cycle, but it's even lower on the oral contraceptive pill. And then there's next to nothing on the progestin-only types or any other form that are becoming increasingly more popular. So we actually did a recent review of the oral contraceptive pill and we basically concluded from from those studies that the oral contraceptive pill reduced in a slightly Um, Trivial performance effects. So, some sportswomen who were taking the oral contraceptive pill noticed that their performance was slightly reduced compared to naturally menstruating women. But what we concluded from that was because the effect size was so so small, because there's so many other contributing factors like the quality of the research. Basically, it's taking that individual approach and tracking your hormonal contraceptive use again. So, yeah, it's that frustrating answer that we don't really have a guide yet, but hopefully in the future, we kind of get that. <laughs> you
1: need to be your own guide, essentially. So you yeah, need to see, yeah. <laughs> understand what's going on and what you're doing by keeping a diary. Rosie, on the flip side of that, what about women who are exercising, um, but who want to get pregnant? So do they have to bear anything in mind about what they're doing with their exercise on their menstrual cycle? So I know that obviously you went through IVF, for instance. Did you uh, dial anything back whilst you were trying to get pregnant, or did you keep everything quite consistent?
2: So, I only did IVF the second pregnancy, and obviously seeking help for that. And it was really a case of, you know, you get your body looked at in depth, and it was all very interesting. And it was really actually not a problem. It was an unexplained secondary infertility, which is, you know, sounds crazy, but it's really quite common. So they were saying, you know, it's a numbers game, wait, 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 but in the end did IVF. So yeah, it's all really interesting to look at the body in that way. I think for optimum fertility, you obviously do want your cycles and you want them to be normal for you. So the length of the cycle to be how it's always been for you. So in that way, I, I just always talk about nourishing the body so that it's very much in its optimal state and the mind as well and it's so easy to say to people don't worry don't worry but that's really hard when you're looking every month trying to get pregnant you know it does become quite a focal point to your life and that like you were saying Amy that's the time I really started looking at my cycle and you're constantly like where am I at where am I at you know these are the days and that's It's quite consuming. So yeah, I think exercise really helped with that, to be honest. And then I was just careful not to, you know, be stressing myself too much. But I think unless you are, well, obviously everyone's different, but unless you're like a really, really massively stressing your body, you know, that your cycle is affected and your body fat is extremely low then for most of us, just normal exercise is kind of really beneficial. So I just kept going with that. And there were days where I just was more kind to myself. And when the IVF is actually happening, yeah, I dialed it back a lot. But I was walking a lot because that's helpful for mental health and still quite cardio, you know, if you if you're out there doing it. So yeah, I think yeah, just keep really healthy with your nice healthy diet with lots of good fat in lots of high quality protein, all that kind of stuff just to really nourish your body in your mind. That's so interesting because I I did the same thing actually. I mean I I didn't go through
1: IVF but when I was trying to get pregnant I ended up really really leaning into walking and a lot lower intensity exercise more so because actually it just helped me keep my mental health in check because I didn't want to be kind of going you know up here and then right down here and crashing after big exercise sessions. I just wanted to feel a bit more consistent and just a bit bit more lovely that
2: really resonates and I think as well that thing your goal has slightly changed so you're more on a nourishing goal I feel like and I used to just run
1: without my watch and just run by feel as opposed to going out and pushing myself and then I did that through pregnancy as well that's really
2: nice nice way to do it
1: oh god isn't it amazing I can't believe our time together is coming to an end we have touched on so much from hormones to big life changes to Big life shifts and what happens in the female body. One thing I'd love to ask you both to round up the conversation is what do we need to normalise in women's training so that we can all keep pushing forward?
3: Yeah, for me, I think it sounds a bit of a cop out, but I definitely think normalize that listening to our bodies. So in sport and in exercise, the norm is to push through that pain, especially in running. So just keep going harder, keep going. And generally speaking, pain, suffering is part of that sport and exercise journey. But really, our bodies are an amazing tool. And I think we could all benefit from listening more.
2: Ooh, I love that. And I also think kind of breaking the mold on what like a fit female looks like or is like, because I feel like there was a lot of focus on, you know, it might be thin or not much body fat. And we've got different sizes and different shapes and strengths for different goals, different sports. So I think in the past how we've measured women, it's like visually size, BMI, weight. And I think... Think that's a bit outdated and it should be a bit more holistic looking at the woman as a whole and maybe less discussion about it because men just get there and they're talked about their sporting prowess you know and it's always women like or well, what did she give up and look at her body and so I think actually just to normalize that everyone can look different ways and be fit. I'm so into that because actually as well, well what this episode's
1: about is the fact that you can be fit at different ages and different life
2: stages and that definition of fit will change 100 percent. there's so many different life stages of this fitness and you could be what from the outside oh they're so physically fit they're smashing it but we don't know what's going on with your pelvic floor we don't know what's going on with your mind so there's there's so many different aspects to being a fit well-rounded athlete and person
1: Well thank you so much you two for your time today and sharing your expertise and insight into the world of women's training which running falls into and just giving us all knowledge bombs but I think like a bit of a pep up as well and you know letting us know that us women we can go out there and achieve what we want to we just need to be a bit more aware of ourselves so that you know we can help ourselves get there so thank you both and thank you to everyone who's tuned in for today's show please do get in touch with our experts and follow them to find out more Rosie and Kelly would you both just share where the best place is for listeners to get in touch with you
2: Yep. So you can find me via Mama Well, which is M-A-M-A well, and it's on Instagram, mostly Mama Well UK. Yeah, my DMs are always open for kind of advice and support. And you can find me on Instagram as
3: well. So I think, and I should probably know this, but it's period of the period. So yeah, all of that research and science goes, goes out on there. And I will put both of those handles in
1: the show notes. So if you're out running when you're listening to this, don't worry, just get to the end of your run and pop into the show notes and you can click straight through. Thanks so much, everyone. And see you all next week.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row?
2: Thanks so much, Amy. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you found some of this advice helpful. And remember, if you do like the podcast, then please rate, review and subscribe. It really helps other runners find us. Plus, you can also keep up to date with other runners in our virtual crew by using the hashtag Welfare on Instagram and by joining the new Welfare Club on Strava. I look at all your posts and updates and it absolutely makes my day.